Okay. All right. <laughs> that was good. I'm glad that worked out. Yeah, so we're talking about wild and free. Oh, man, it, it's going to be a great summer. Listen, come. This, this summer series is amazing. We talk about freedom. Like Robert said, it was like a series like this last year that really started to open his eyes, give him perspective, set him free. And, and the same for me, too. Once I found Freedom Ministry, I started, really, the Holy Spirit started identifying a lot of things. And I'm like, wow, I'm a Christian, and I've been a Christian for a while, and I've even been discipled and be discipling. And I have all this stuff that I'm carrying that I didn't even know that that's not, you're not supposed to be carrying that stuff as believers. And so we're going to walk you through gently a lot of that stuff there in the summer and then leading to the whole ministry there in uh, the 25th and 26th, I believe, of August. Is that our 24th, 25th, 26th, somewhere in there? It's a Friday, Saturday event. But before we get there, uh, you guys, thank you too. Most people will never know the sacrifices that men make. We, we go in, we, go, we do day in, day out stuff, and we're, we're just doing it because that's what we're supposed to do, but nobody ever truly understands the sacrifices that men have to make, the things that we have to overcome, the things we bite our tongues to, the things we choose not to engage in, the things that we do, probably outside of what we really would like to do, but it's just because the things that we have to do because that takes care of the bigger picture. And most oftentimes, the very people we're taking care of the biggest picture, bigger picture for don't, don't quite understand it, so they're trying to chop down at us while we're trying to take care of the bigger picture to take care of them. And yet all the while, you're, you're, you're being sedated by the smile, and I, I just got to do this, and this has got to take place. I, I, can't under, I can't explain it, but thank you guys for sacrificing and being so sacrificial, even in the midst of trial, in the midst of battle, because one day it will be seen what you're trying to accomplish. It will be revealed, and you will be appreciated, and then you'll get to have that, see, I told you, moment. But you got to wait for it. So we're talking about Wounded Warriors today, and this is a, a part one of a part three series that I'm going to do throughout the, throughout the summer. I'm going to do part two next week, and then somewhere in the summer I'm going to do part three. I'm going to follow up. But I'm, talking, I'm calling this one Codename Secret Sauce, because I'm going to give you the secret sauce of coming out of being this wounded, uh, this wounded warrior, uh, because a lot of us don't really realize we're carrying these wounds. And we all have a secret sauce. My stepdad growing up, he always had the slopping sauce. Who knows what's in the slopping sauce? He just always had a rag that he would slop on his barbecue every once in a while to keep it wet, his meat. So everybody's got a little secret sauce when it comes to barbecue, when it comes to rub. I know Kevin in the back, he's got a secret rub that he puts on his barbecue. When you start talking about secret sauce, there's something, some element that not, no one else knows about. There, no one else knows about, but somehow you, you found this thing to get this outcome and that's what we're talking about today, the secret sauce of overcoming and being, coming out of that wounded warrior and being set free, being truly wild and free and being okay with it. The church in the past didn't quite understand what it meant to be wild and free, and so they wanted to kind of keep everybody sedated and, you know, and controlled, and there was, there was very little true movement, true freedom in the church because we tried to make holiness an outward thing. But when holiness becomes an inward thing, boy, we get wild. The wild at heart uh, attitude starts to come out in both men and women, and true freedom is revealed. And I don't mean like Adam and Eve just walking around, you know, pre-fall in the garden. I mean truly being able to be who God created you to be, and that is wild and free right there. So we're going to get there, and but thank you. We're going to start in Acts 16. I was drifting through Acts, and, and in Acts 16, starting at... Just, just before this passage, I can, I can kind of give you the abbreviated version of this, before this passage, 
Paul and Silas were going around and they were proclaiming Jesus and the Jews didn't like it, the religious folk, they just didn't like this Jesus thing because Jesus was all about relationship and love and yet truth and mercy at the same time. And the Jews were more about, hey, what's about control and, and rules and regulations and the law and you've got to follow all these things in order to prove the fact that you, you even have any faith. Well, Paul and Silas were revealing a different Jesus. And Paul knew the old life. He knew the, the old religious way, but then he found the relational way. He found Jesus along the path. And here they are proclaiming Jesus as the Savior, as the Messiah. Well, they didn't like it. The Jews didn't like it so much that they began to whip and beat Paul and Silas. In fact, they imprisoned them, which leads us to our passage right here. And at midnight, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Now, they'd just gotten beat, whipped, and thrown into prison. They're praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Before we go further... Before we go further, the wrong definition will never lead to freedom. Our point number one, our wrong definition of our situation will never lead us to freedom. In this situation, the the prison guard, we'll call him jailer, his understanding was because he saw that the prison doors were open and chains were loose, he, he just imagined, okay, they're gone. So his definition, his understanding, and we'll drive this home, of the situation, which really wasn't the definition, the truth of the situation, was about to propel him to take his sword, let me take it smaller for a picture, take his sword and end it all. That that was his best option of what he thought to do. But I'm going to give you a little bit of history with, can I call him John the Jailer? just makes it easier. I'm going to bring this thing home. Now, this story is not a true biblical story that I'm about to tell you. Don't call me a heretic and all these things. What I am telling you is a true biblical story with a little bit of a background of our, our cultural and our now, this day's type situations so that we can apply, man, this is what life tends to look like and the pressures that truly build up in our day and our generation, the generations that are alive right now, putting them into a Bible, biblical context we're going to use all truth, but I'm just using a story, all right? So don't go look for this story in your Bible or in your commentary. You're not going to find this particular story when it comes to John the Jailer. There is no John the Jailer. We good? And I'm going to call him JJ. This is of no JJ that we know. It's not my stepbrother JJ. It's not the JJ that comes to church here, all right? So it's, this is not a JJ. I want to clarify this. This is no JJ that you know. So back to the, the back story on John the Jailer. Great guy. Everybody loved him. He grew up in a small hometown. He, everybody could depend on him. He, he played sports. People just like him. The people who didn't play sports, he was even friends with. He grew up through all of this. He, was at, he actually loved to serve his community uh, just because he knew to help was a good thing. That's, that's what he knew to do. People liked him. He, wanted, he had compassion for people around him, and so he just had a, right, he had a good heart. His teachers loved him. Everybody loved him. He grew up. He went through high school, and he graduates high school, and he's going into college. That's his next step. He's, he said, well, I can't really afford to go to college completely, so he goes to work as well. And here he is. He, he goes into the jail system. He, he gets him a nice little job because that's crime rate was so high. That's just in Rome at that time. I guess that's what you should do, right? Because of the crime rate, he goes, well, I'm going to go get a good job right here in the jail system. There will always be a job in the jail system. And so 
there he is. He's going to his little Roman school, and he's at the same time he's going to he's going he's got his job learning how to be a jailer. He's growing up through life, and and his, he's doing such a good good job. And unfortunately, there's so much crime that his his captain begins to depend on him even more, and so he's taking on more shifts. And yet he has school, and he's he's really trying to get through school because he wants to be a captain one day, and he wants to have a family one day. And then he starts thinking, well, there's external pressure because in this small town of Rome, whenever you get out of high school, you better start getting married really soon. You better start looking for that wife of who you're going to find. So it's time to start a family. It's what we do in our small towns. And so here he's got this external pressure. I live that. He gives the external pressure. And so he's, there he is. He's, got, he's going to college. He's, he's got his little jailer job. And now he's thinking, well, I've got to find a girlfriend too. I've got to, at some point, I've got to start this family. Well, he's got his high school buddies. You know, high school buddies, they still want to hang out on the weekend. They don't realize that they graduated and that life is over. Well, not, not for them, so he's dragging them in this too. And then he just has a heart for the people, and so he just wants to go and he wants to do something good. He wants to serve in the Roman Salvation Army for the, week, uh, for the weekend as well. And so he's doing all these things, and, and here he is growing through high school, I mean, through college, doing a great job. He's really making good grades, and, and his captain is just loving him. He's showing up, and even, his captain even gives him grace so he can do his homework while he's, at, while he's working and watching over the, the, the prisoners. Well, he finally finds that girl. He's got his eyes locked on her, and, and they meet at college, and, and there they are in the library getting to know each other and, and just quietly whispering. It's so romantic, you know how it is in the, in the library. And so there they are growing and fond of one another, and, and they only have just a little bit of time because he's got to study, he's got to, go to, he's got to go to work, and yet he still serves a little bit in the Salvation Army. And then he, then he goes and he's got to hang out with his buddies because if he doesn't hang out with his buddies, his buddies are going to get upset with him. And so this starts to happen, and finally... Things move forward. He starts to grad. He's about to graduate from college, and he's starting to get promotions in the jail system. And then here he is, and he he he, he gets down on one knee and he asks her, "Will you marry me?" And so he's like all this pressure. All of a sudden, he he starts to feel even more pressure. I just asked this this girl to to marry me, and I'm going to have to actually follow up with this thing. And so he's got <laughs> he's got. He's got that looming over him. He's getting a raises. He's, he's about to graduate from college. He's getting exams are coming up. He's got buddies that are calling him, and he's starting to push off his buddies because this girl is starting to get his attention a little bit, and they're shaming him because they won't hang, he won't hang out with them like he used to. And so all of this, all of this pressure is just like, just like one load after the next. It's just really easy stuff at first. You know, you're going through college. You're going through the university, and it's easy. I'm breezing through it. Then all of a sudden, it starts to get, load starts to get heavier. Man, I'm engaged now, and then they, hey, they got married. On April 5th, they got married. <laughs> they got married. It starts, and she wants kids automatically. She's like, well, I, I think, I feel like, you know, we should just go ahead and have kids. And he's like, wait a minute. I'm just now getting out of college, and, and, and I don't know if I can support a family altogether, and I got to have, now you want to have kids. Now I, I have the pressures, the external pressures of me needing to, needing to build and provide for my family as well. I got my, my high school buddies, they're still calling, and I do all I can to make sure that they, they know that I love them, but I, at some point, I got to give them some space. I need some space because it's causing an issue between me and my, new, my newlywed, and a newlywed just can't be going out and hanging out with his, his buddies, and they want him to drink with them, and there's all, all this pressure, and then the Salvation Army's calling, hey, we need some people, we need, we need your help, and he's starting to feel this internal guilt. 
so much external pressure. And then, hey, she's calling. She's pregnant now. Hey, congratulations on the way. And she's like, yeah, that's great. That's, that's great. And it gets heavier and heavier. And as he's smiling, he's the, on the inside thinking, how in the world am I going to do this? And nobody can see it. And he's hiding it all the way. And, and, and wait after wait, and situation after situation in life, it just gets heavier and heavier and heavier and, and heavier. And there's this time where he's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. This guy that everybody loved, everybody just, they flocked to. He was able to help everyone. He wanted to be a part of everything he could do. He wanted to do a lot of good things. He found a great girl. He's got a great job. He just... He graduated college, that's great, and he's wondering what he could, he would literally love to go into, get his master's, great, but his, his captain said, I need you more, there's so much crime, the crime rate's so high right now, I need you, I need, I need your help, and he goes, I, I really need the overtime because I gotta pray, I don't know how I'm gonna pay for this, this delivery of our, our new baby, and there's this pressure that continues to, to build up and build up and build up, and the reality in all of this, he had no true relation, he didn't even know Jesus. Jailer John didn't have a clue who Jesus was. He just had a good heart, and he knew to do good things, and he wanted to do good things for a lot of people. And all that external pressure began to implode on him and began to bring him to a place where he didn't know if he could handle it anymore, and he, he was dragging all this weight around, and he could barely even move because it's, it's heavy. And there he goes from moving from, from high speeds to this super low speed because he's carrying a bunch of baggage around and it's weighing him down and all of a sudden a very respectable, likable, responsible man became so overwhelmed by the weight of the pressure in the midst of this, Jailer John, John the Jailer, he lost his identity. He went from knowing who he was to I don't have a clue who I am, I'm just doing all these things that are really good, they're really good. But he lost who he was in the midst of all of this. And so our definition of our situation, which puts us into bondage, is rarely the truth. Because we lose ourselves somewhere in the midst of just trying to do a bunch of good things. I want to look at this again. Acts, 20, Acts 16, 27 says, And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and he was about to kill himself. You see, old John's best response is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to end it all. That was his best response to this situation. I can't handle all the pressure anymore, and I'm, I, I'm just done with it. I'm going to end it all. I can't, handle, I can't handle trying to be someone for my wife, my kids, my boss, the college, all my friends. I'm, I'm done. And unfortunately, that's for many, for many in a stressful situation like that, that's the best response that they have, especially when we don't know Jesus. So number one, wrong definition will never lead us to freedom. When I, when I define that as, I can't carry the weight, it's way too much pressure, I'll always be in bondage to it, and it'll never lead me to freedom. Number two, submission to God brings healing. Look at the next part of this passage, Acts 16, 28 through 34. It says this, but Paul called with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. He goes, wait a minute, we didn't go anywhere. Yeah, the jails are open. Yeah, the doors are open. Chains are loose, but we're here. Chill. Relax. He says, then, in verse 29, Then he called for a light, 
ran in and fell. He goes, hey, give me a light. Give me a light. He ran in. Jailer John, John the jailer came in. He ran in and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? In fact, that's the best question that we can ask in that situation. And sometimes that's what that question comes even after salvation. What can I do to be free from this bondage? Then he reads, he says, so they, so they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them at the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when, the, now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them and he rejoiced having believed in God with all his household. Now I want you to see how powerful life becomes when the men of the house get saved. This is, it's startling how powerful. Like, you guys, we hold a great power locked inside of us, and I want to show you how powerful it is when a man who maybe under, maybe, maybe it was this thing that God had to use to bring us to a place where I, I can't do it on my own, I need help, which is so hard for a man to cry out. Maybe that's the moment, the breaker, that actually leads a man to really discovering who he is and how powerful he really is and how powerful he's destined to be. Look at this. These families' first response and thankfulness to, was thankfulness was to find, in finding their peace in the storm was they got saved and then immediately they began to serve God. I'm going to show you some statistics on men who come to Christ. When a mother, this is just for a mother, when a mother comes to Christ, her family will join her at church only 17% of the time. But when a father comes to Christ, his family comes to church 93% of the time. That's huge, powerful men. 95% of men say they don't have a male friend. Less than one-third of men in the church Say they have a friend. Satan wants to isolate us and separate us. More than 90% of American, American men believe in God, and five out of six call themselves Christians. But only two out of six attend church on any given Sunday. The average man accepts the reality of Jesus Christ, but fails to see any real value in going to church. I heard somebody, tell, somebody told me this week, well, some people just don't think they need to go to church every week. I told them, I do. <laughs> I do. It's bondage to even think that you are such, in such a good place that you don't need to bring yourself into church. That's the, that's the very trap. And this was a, this was a lady, wasn't a man. 90, 90 million men are not involved in any kind of discipleship. Only 6 million men are involved in discipleship. That's only one out of every 18 men. Fewer than 10% of U.S. churches are able to establish and maintain a vibrant men's ministry. Fewer than 1% of church-going men participate in any sort of ongoing men's ministry. As many as 70% of men have actively sought out pornography this year. 90, 93% of all incarcerated are fatherless, and 85% of them have no father figure whatsoever. And I, I'm giving you this because perspective how powerful we are whenever we step into who we're called to be and we, we just father. 
it's amazing the response that we get to the world around us when we begin to father. It's amazing just our presence. Even my wife says that what she loves for me to be home, just my presence brings an authority into the house. It's huge. What, I, what I'm trying to do is we're not here to tear down men. We're here to say, hey, I need to, I need to waken up and understand that the authority and the strength and the power that I just have naturally, I don't even have to usurp any of it. I don't have to try to use any authority. I have authority because of God, the destiny that he's put on side of me. I am authority. And whenever you understand, when we begin to understand that, we men are going to walk on a higher level, a greater level of strength, a greater level of confidence, a greater level of boldness because I am who he says I am. I don't have to prove anything, man. We don't have to prove anything. We just walk in it. We just walk in the very existence and the very thing that God has destined and clothed us with. It's amazing. 33% of, 70, of the 72 million children in America will go to bed without their biological father in their home. Fatherless children are five times as likely to live in poverty, repeat a grade, and have emotional problems. Wow. Wow. You wonder why there's so much such a rise on medication and there's such a rise on emotional issues. Man, that's huge. I had a had a conversation with a city councilman last week, and his his approach to uh, to poverty was education and finance on on both the the, the 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 level of school and also finance. I said, no, it's fatherlessness. You start addressing addressing the fatherlessness, you will change poverty. He goes, oh, okay, okay, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. There's always something a step higher. Whenever a father is in the home, those kids want to go to school. They want to learn about finance. They, they want to know. A father. The average ratio of men to women in Christian colleges is about one male to every three females. Hey, this is good news. Some of you are like, hey, I'm single. I think I, think I might go to a Christian college somewhere. It's one in three. The ratio is really good. <laughs> I had to throw that one in there. I'm like, man, if I were single, I think I'd find myself back in a, a Christian university. But I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> it's eye-opening, though, guys. I want us to grab a, take a look at, uh, look at this. And I want you to know, too, since birth, we've had a target on our back. Men, you wonder why the attacks have been happening all your life. you got a target on your back. There's an infrared target that only the person holding the scope, and that's, that's Satan himself, since the time you were little Nathan's, my little, my little baby's age, Satan had a target. He's had a target. He's been trying to tear you down because he knows how powerful you are. He knows what you can do. He knows what you can do when you just, you just be you and your family and you resist and you, you withstand and you stay steadfast and you stand strong even, even when the people in the house may be trying to cut you down because you see the bigger picture and they might not have a fullness of understanding of that. But you do it in love, you do it in grace, you take it, you take it with a grain of salt, one shot after the next, because Satan's got a target on your back, but you're powerful. You are mighty, really strong. Men, when we are born, we were born into a war, whether we like it or not. We were born into a war, and there's a great anointing destined for men. The power we carry is truly, and I drive this in, the power we carry, just presence, is the power that changes the world. If those statistics didn't sell you on that, 
I'm telling you, they're not going to change your life, but they might change your perspective. You carry an amazing anointing on your life. And men, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to say this for you. You've been wanting to say it. You've been reading it in Scripture. You've been wanting to say this, and, and I got your back, all right? But you can't repeat this, and there's no nudging, no nudging anyone. But something about Solomon, the wisest man in all the earth, you know, he kept moving. From, I just need, maybe it's the next wife. Maybe, maybe it's the next wife. Maybe, maybe it's the next wife. But four times from Proverbs 19 to Proverbs 27, he says something like, something like this. It's better to live on the corner of a roof than in a house with a nagging wife. I'm wondering if that has something to do with fatherlessness, but hey, that's no excuse. <laughs> that's, I had to say it. That's no excuse. We got to hang in there. Yeah, she's contentious. Yeah, it's like a drip, 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 drip. But we're hanging in there. We're fighting the battle because we're warriors. Yeah, we may be wounded, but we're warriors. A wrong definition will never lead you to freedom. Number two, submission to God brings healing. Number three, right standing with God brings the mighty out of the man. And, there's, and the Bible really talks about some mighty men of valor, and he's declaring that over us. I want you to remember that, the movie Act of Valor? Anybody remember that? Remember that? And there's this scene. It's this awesome scene. They're going in. They're going into a river, and, you know, the enemy's right there in the boat, and, and, and one guy's going in. He goes around the boat. And he just sticks his hand out, hands out of the water, and the sniper, you know, just takes the guy out, and he falls back, and there is the mighty man, catches him right before he hits the water, and slowly, man, it's just, it's intense. I can only imagine being in a situation like that. Awesome. That has nothing to do with this message, but boy, it's cool. So Israel, <laughs> Israel, they're talking about some mighty men. Israel, due to their disobedience, they were brought into captivity. And this is not the same old story as I've been telling you about Israel and their disobedience being brought into captivity. This is a cycle for Israel. And so in this situation, they were brought into captivity to the Midians for seven years. Seven years. And, and, and this is what happens in the midst of that. Judges 6. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress, and in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Here he is hiding, putting wheat into the winepress, and the angel of the Lord shows up and he says, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Gideon says this, Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And usually that's the case. If the Lord is with me, why then am I having to carry all this baggage? And where are all, the, well, where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And we have this battle. We have this internal battle when life really gets to be a struggle. Where's God now? How is, why has the Lord for, abandoned me? He's forsaken me. Where, he doesn't care about me. He's because of... So for some reason, probably our own issues with fatherlessness, we begin to take it out on the Heavenly Father, and we don't quite understand the Heavenly Father at His best, at who He is. When He says He can do this, and His testimony says that He can provide a miracle, we struggle in that. But in the midst of that, verse 14, Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you. 
Verse 15, so he said to him, O my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am least in my father's house. Oh, I'm just a little guy, and my, my, my family's little. We're not going to be able to do much. We're weak. And we all wrestle with these very same thoughts that Gideon has at first. Do I have what it takes? How about when it comes to relationships? Can I, really, can I get the girl? We go through these. Can I really live this out? Can I fulfill this? We have this insecurity, these fears. We have this reluctance. We have this sense of inadequacy. I don't know if I'm adequate enough to do that. I don't know, I don't know if I can step up and really fulfill this whole thing. But it's when we face these that that wild heart is released and true freedom starts to come out. When we begin to face these very fears that we all wrestle with in our heart, they're packed in there. But from the fall, we're carrying them through the DNA, spiritual DNA that we carry. And when we begin to address these, because they all come, all those thoughts come from Satan, we start to address them one by one by one, overcoming fear, insecurity, reluctancy, and this, this feeling of inadequacy. All of a sudden, we start to get heaven's perspective in our situation, and something inside of us begins to change. Verse 16 says, And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. He's saying all of, all of Gideon's men are going to come together, and they're going to fight as one man and they're surely going to defeat the enemy. This is, you think about this statement that I said that less than one-third or one-third of men in the church say they have a friend. It's the enemy's trap to try to separate men because when men come together, we work as one, we defeat the enemy as one, just like Gideon says, just like Gideon does to the Midianites. Look at this, verse 17. Then he said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight... Then show me a sign that is you who talk with me. And then God didn't show him one sign. He actually gave him four signs because time after time after time, Gideon was like, well, show me this. Well, then show me this. And then show me this. And then lastly, God said, well, you're going to have to tear down the altars of Baal that your people have built and taken on the Midianite gods. And sometimes that's the very thing that God begins to present to us first and approach us with first is you're going to have to tear down some of these things of the past. Some of these things you're still tied to in the past. Perhaps there's an old tendency you're still carrying around. Perhaps you're holding on to things that, how things used to be. Maybe you're still not set free from an old relationship. There's, I'm, I'm a believer. What, why, why, why do I not feel completely free? Why am I carrying this, this bondage that's following me everywhere I go? I'm still dealing with all of this stuff. How do I, why is that? Sometimes we got to start tearing down those altars, tearing down things that are connecting us, keeping us to the past, and keeping us from fully moving forward wild and free. God is saying there's stuff that needs to be removed. Think about King David. He was known also as a mighty man of valor. He didn't grow up in military training. You know where David got his training? He got his training on the side of a hill, spending time with the Lord. David became a mighty man when he just sat there watching over, protecting God's flock, sitting there, spending time with the Lord, communing. He was in warrior training. And whenever he was making history, 
with God. Yeah, he, he defeated a lion. He defeated a bear. But he was protecting the flock, and he was doing what he saw the Father doing. He was listening to the Father. He was speaking with the Father. And when the time came up, when this guy named Goliath was rising up against Israel, David was resting on the testimony and the history that he was making in the quiet places, the isolation, and he brought it into the forefront, and he saw that Goliath has nothing on his God, and he knew that God, that David wasn't adequate, but God was adequate enough to move through David to defeat this enemy of Israel. I want you to notice the difference. It's not the adequacy of the man. It's the adequacy of, the, of God working through the man. And sometimes we need to make history with God so that we can understand the adequacy that's buried within us, that is rising up inside of us, but it's all because of what God can do and what he wants to do through us. Because we put these statistics in order and we begin to have history with God and we understand what he's got inside of us and what he wants to do through us, chains, literal jails will be open because we won't need all those prisoners. John the jailer won't be so overworked trying to get getting raised after raise, his captain won't be demanding more of him because men are becoming fathers. And they're becoming fathers because they understand the adequacy that God has given them because what God can do because they spent time in their warrior training in the presence of the Lord, watching him work before him. And to God, the greatest thing a mighty man of valor can do is spend time with him, love his family, and serve the flock of God. The greatest thing we can ever do is just spending that time with God, spending that that time with our family, loving our family, and then just loving God's people. Those are the three greatest things. Here's Paul's version of that situation. Now, I told you John the jailers, but there's two two coinciding roads that are going, and what happens is these are blurred, but at some point in all of our lives, they become one. We, we are John the jailer, and we are Paul. Look at this. Acts, 20, Acts 16, 25, 26 again says, But at midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. In the midst of their situation, they had been beaten in the midst of a trial, in the midst of a dark place, in a tragedy to come. They had been beaten and imprisoned, and in the midst of all that, here they are. They're praying, and they're singing psalms and hymns unto God because they know, because of the history that they have made with God until that point, they know what God can do in the midst of a dark situation. That's powerful. When I realize and I get the understanding that I don't have to move and I don't have to do it in my own will, but I trust God and I praise God for being God, and He will move on my behalf, there's something that begins to awaken inside of a man, inside of a woman, that begins to change them and lift their faith to higher levels. And they knew whose they were, and they knew who they were. Here comes the identity part. You see, John the Jailer had an identity crisis But Paul and Silas, in the midst of trial, I think they were more free than John the jailer was, praising and worshiping God, knowing who they were in him. Freedom has everything to do with identity, and until we know who we are, we will never be set free. And when men of God begin to praise him in the storms of life, he moves on their behalf, and look what it says, he loosens their chains, their chains we're loosened. When God begins to move upon you because we're trusting in Him, He begins to loosen some chains. Amen. And those chains in our lives, they begin to fall, and they fall quick. Acts, 30, Acts 16, 35, and 37. And when it was day, the magistrates sent the officers saying, Let those men go. 
So the keeper of the prison, they go from worshiping to being released. Look at this. And so the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul saying, The magistrates have sent, uh, sent to, to you to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us openly and, and uncondemned Romans and have thrown us into prison. And now do they, they try to put us out secretly? He says, No, indeed. You let them come in themselves and get us out. Wow. But when we have right standing with God, when we know that we're in a right place with God and we've done right things, we can stand on a greater level of, of power and a greater level of confidence and a greater level of boldness in the midst of those situations. No, you were in the wrong. You've got me in prison. Now you come let me out personally and we're going to talk about this. You can shift the whole situation when you just trust in God. When you just walk in the confidence of what God can do, all of, a thing, all of a sudden, everything begins to shift. For a season, dependent completely upon us, we're John the Jailer. But boy, when we're tired of being John the Jailer, we start to move, we start to understand, I can't carry all this. I, I, you're right, I can't do all of this. So I, when, I, when I come to this place, well, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I, I need you to work through me. I need you to work with me. We get to this place when the pressure is a buildup of culture, of our peers, of the job, of, of a wife or the family or the situation, the bills. When we start to rise up and all we, then we start to rise up, we praise God for who he is and all of a sudden we cut it. And now, now I can start to deal with it. Okay, Lord. I don't know how to be a man. I don't, know, I don't know how to be a good husband, a good father. But I want to, so I need you to teach me. Okay, Lord. I don't know how to take care of work and provide. I don't, I don't, know, how, I don't know how on my own. But I need you to teach me. I need your help. Lord, I don't know, I don't know how. I don't know how to be a good friend. I don't know how to steward those relationships. I don't, know, I don't know how to be focused on, on right relationships and, and cultivate the wrong relationships out. But I need your help. I, I just don't know. How, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what I'm going to do next in my life. I, want, I really want to get my master's. But I've got this family. I don't know how it's going to work out. I need your help. And we start one by one by one cutting the weights of life and we start to not run from them. Because that's what the other, the other thought is. Well, I'll do nothing. The man that does nothing is more paralyzed by the weight than the one who's wrestling with the fact that he's trying to do all things. You've got opposite sides of the spectrum, both in bondage. But then we cut it. We get it down to where we can work with it. And we humbly come before the Lord and say, I can't do this. I can't do this on my own. We start to praise him. We start to worship him. We start to thank him. We start to ask for perspective. We take our minds off of the situation and we take the situations and we praise God in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the battle, in the midst of the dark place. And then we bring the situation to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't know how to do this, but you do. Can you help me? And then we just start to listen. That 
is mighty warrior training right there. That is when the mighty warrior starts to rise up inside of the man, and he can do far greater things than he ever thought he could. His, his, his family starts to rise to new heights. His children are being poured into. They're good examples. His wife is being poured into. She, she, she's on, on cloud nine. All of a sudden, he's excelling in his workplace. All the things that he was trying to do on his own before he knew Christ, all of a sudden, when he finally came to Christ, he finally started praising God. He finally started serving God, and he started sorting everything out. Not only did his whole family come to Christ, wow, which in itself is amazing, but then we start to learn how to deal with life's issues and that's when we become the, the Paul and the Silas in this story. We move from Jailer John. And now when a dark situation comes about, no problem. I got history with God. We're going to work this out. He's going to do it. And I start going in that situation with my hands raised. I'm praising. And when the Satan is trying to bring anxiety and worry into my mind to confuse me and get me so focused on the details of the situations, I push it back and I push it down, and I start praising God. And what I'm doing is I'm expanding my history. I'm expanding my experience with a holy God, and I'm expanding my trust that God will move in each one of these situations just like he did when I was sitting on the mountainside alone. And I'm making history. And boy, that's when it gets really good. We become, we become all God created us to be. I want to show you this this video clip right here real quick. Isn't it amazing how they go from, I'm going to run and live, to, you know what, I wanna, actually, I am going to fight for my freedom. And that's what God is asking every one of us. Do you wanna, if you begin with the end in mind, if you sit there and you picture, here's, here's my tombstone, and I look back on how I responded to situations in my life and how I chose to lead and live my life and my family, what does that look like? If you're right in front of the tombstone right now, are you William Wallace and you're sitting there thankful because you took life by the horns and you chose to pursue freedom with God and really discovering, unearthing who you are in Christ Jesus, discovering that true identity in Him, are you sitting there thinking, man, I ran because I chose to live. I can tell you right now, running, that, that life's just bondage. Pursuing, pursuing every one of these situations in the presence of the Lord and watching him move on our behalf, making history, making history. I want to drive, making history with God. Boy, you want to see something happen. You want to see a powerful world changers. You want to see the earth shake a little bit. You want to see chains fall and prison gates open. You will be the avenue for that. You, men, will be the reason. You will be the cause. And this is for every age in this place. Cody, it'll be that day. Stephen, it'll be that day. John, that day's coming. Logan, the day's coming. Wesley, day's coming. Clayton, Jaden, it's coming. What would it look like if mighty men of God rose up and really believed they would rather give their lives for true freedom than rather simply live? I want to pray for you if you'll let me. I just want to ask the Holy Spirit, what is he saying to you? This struck me this morning. God didn't call us to be successful. He called us to be faithful. When we take care of his, he takes care of ours.
it's time we reignite a passion, finding purpose, and making a difference, doing something that makes a difference with people who make a difference. And to do that, we must be steadfast, we must be focused. And it's time for wounded warriors to become mighty men of valor yet again and make some history with God. Father, I just ask for your strength and your healing power over every wound in this place, every hurt. When you even mention the name Father, both in men and women across this room, there's something that happens in the heart. So, Father, let, it be, let there be healing first in that place, and let there be a strengthening in every mighty man that's in this house, and let there be a new awakening that says, I will pursue freedom, and I will take every one of these life situations, and I will bring them into the presence of God so that we can make history together, and I can see him move mightily for my behalf and my family's behalf. Father, we just thank you right now. We thank you and we praise you. You're so good. You are so good. You are so good. Guys, let's stand up and worship one more time because God is so good and it is spiritual warfare. It is warfare whenever we lift our hands in prayer and praise and we worship a holy God. Concluding the worship, our altar team will be up here if you need anything. And guys, don't leave here. We've got some gifts for you. We'll see you in a minute.